0: Word nerd. Wordsmith. Wordy. Wordless. Oxford Dictionary says a word is a single distinct meaningful element of speech or writing, used with others or sometimes alone. We say each one matters. No extra words is literature, minimalist style. And we're getting you right to the story. Memorial Day by C.M. gabbett The soldier watched as the young woman and her daughter walked through the grass. The little girl had not been walking for very long, and her mother tried with great difficulty to avoid crushing the bouquet of flowers that she held in her left arm, as she hunched over to hold the little one's hand to keep her from falling. A butterfly fluttered by, grabbing the little girl's attention and making her mother's task all the more difficult. The soldier smiled. It was very recently that he had seen the little one being carried by her mother. Soon she would be walking without the assistance of her mother's hand. Then her mother would wish that she was still small enough to carry. A mobile child is a dangerous child, especially to a single mother. The child and her mother advanced up a small hill. The young woman had to maneuver the little girl several times as she appeared to have developed a penchant for colliding with the large stones in the grass. As they disappeared over the top of the hill, the soldier followed silently. As he came over the hill, he saw the little one and her mother reach their destination. The mother sat in the grass and motioned for her child to sit next to her. As the little girl struggled to sit without falling, the soldier made his way down the hill to stand near them. As he did nearly every week, the soldier watched as the mother helped the little girl place each flower at the base of the stone. After the first few, the little one insisted that she do the rest by herself. She forcefully grabbed one and tossed it at the base of the stone with all her might. Gentle, said her mother. The flowers are very delicate. The little girl looked up and nodded. Okay, Mommy, she chirped. She took more care with the remaining flowers. Her mother picked her daughter up off the grass and placed her gently in her lap. The little one squirmed initially, but soon found a comfortable position. Holding the child in one arm, the young woman reached the other out to show the little girl the letters engraved in the stone. "'Do you remember what that says?' asked the young woman. The little girl shook her head. She was too young to remember much about anything, much less be able to remember where specific letters were. "'It says John Atmire. her mother reminded her. "'And you're Cindy Atmeyer. Do you remember who John Atmeyer is?' The little one pointed at the epitaph, now remembering her mother telling her this, just as she did every time they visited. "'That's my daddy!' she chirped. She lowered her arm and pointed to the ground beneath one of the small flags that the local scout troop put out every year. "'And that's where he's sleeping!' the young woman nodded. As it always did, a single tear fell from her left eye. "'I know I tell you this every time we come here,' she said. "'But I wish that you could have gotten to meet him.' The soldier knelt down behind the woman and her child. He placed his right hand gently on her shoulder, but as usual, she did not respond. Instead, she continued talking to her daughter. But your daddy was a hero, and sometimes heroes don't get to come home. She hugged her daughter close and lowered her head to the little girls. He would have been so proud of you, Cindy. He would have loved you very much. He is. Whispered the soldier. And he does. The little girl peeked her face up through her mother's arms. The soldier looked deep into her eyes. Even though she looked directly at him, he was never sure if she actually saw him. But he always hoped so. After all, she had his eyes. Hello there. Welcome to No Extra Words, the Flash Fiction Podcast. My name is Chris Baker-Dirsch. I'm your producer and editor. There's a holiday coming up this Monday in the U.S. where I live, which is Memorial Day. And as a podcaster, as well as a human, that was a difficult one for me to tackle. And I want to thank CM Gavu, before I go any further, for giving me, not from any call or request, but just sending this unsolicited the perfect story to really start a conversation about this holiday because he really captures what Memorial Day is. Here's the thing about Memorial Day. It is the unofficial start of summer because it's a holiday weekend right as the weather starts to get good. So it's that. It is a one of those holidays that has a weird history. You're not quite sure exactly how it came to be and when and what it originally meant. And it is also something that is deeply felt by the armed forces, the military, and their families, and really very easy to overlook them with everything else going on, and also to celebrate the holiday in a way that military people find uncomfortable. A lot of emphasis is placed on veterans, on veterans' memorials, on parades, and I think for a lot of active military, they really feel like there's already a day to honor the living who have served, and this is really a day to talk about the loss. So there's all these things wrapped up in this one single day. And I went to my first love, which is history, and started to really kind of dig deep and try to figure out what is this holiday and where does it come from? Also understanding that this is an international show. And for many of you, this holiday is nothing and doesn't exist. So there's all of that going on as I try to start this conversation about Memorial Day. But I think it's important to talk about it. I, I think it's important not to ignore it. We talked about Armistice Day. For crying out loud, we talked about Valentine's Day. I feel like we have to honor Memorial Day. And here's the thing that I learned about Memorial Day. About at least seven different communities claim it. No one's entirely sure when it started. And there's a lot of really great stories. There's a story out there that it was started by a group of... Slaves celebrating the Union soldiers who died to give them their freedom. That's a great story, but there's no way of knowing if it's actually true or not. And that's how this holiday is. But here's what we do know for sure it was originally called Decoration Day. It definitely comes out of the Civil War era, and it was a time when people would decorate the graves of the lost soldiers and it's, it's not a coincidence it happens at the time of the year when all the flowers come out because you could put flowers and flags and clean up your graves and make them pretty and take a moment to remember the loss. Not sure exactly when it turned into Memorial Day from Decoration Day, but that is where it comes from. One of my favorite descriptions of Decoration Day actually comes from a book called Emily of Deep Valley. Emily of Deep Valley is by Madhar Lovelace, one of my favorite authors. She wrote the Betsy and Tacey books. And Emily of Deep Valley was published in 1950, but I think it's set in like 1912 about. And so Emily and her grandfather are celebrating Decoration Day. Her grandfather is doing it by marching in the parade with his army buddies, being a veteran himself of the Civil War. And Emily is doing it by decorating the entire family plot. She's lost her parents and and other things, and so, you know, this is their chance to clean out their cemetery plot and make everything look shiny. That's the other thing that you wonder about Memorial Day, is if you are taking the time to clean the cemetery and do your history and think about the graves of all of your family, does that mean that it loses its significance for the military, or does that just make it easier to recognize the holiday as a whole? Because certainly, Decoration Day is born out of military tradition, but... Is often used just to do cemetery cleanups, to think about people who have been lost in the previous year, all of that. So I kind of come back to that moment of it's spring. You're reflecting on your family, both those who are here and those who are not, and you're taking a moment to honor that military service as well. So that's sort of where this holiday tradition comes from. Thinking about how to translate that into a podcast, I don't have a recent person in my family or in my life who has been a military casualty thank goodness a lot of families do and that's an important thing to honor but I don't have that personal connection I mean I think I have a three times great-grandfather who died at Vicksburg but that was a really long time ago so I don't have that personal connection to a Memorial Day and I also wanted to take the podcast bigger and I always like to go deeper on holidays as you all have seen who've been with us so Started out with Memorial Day, which, again, the perfect story to kick off a discussion about this holiday, because it really is about that moment, that time. And then I was reading something interesting about ways to honor Memorial Day. And one of the things that was suggested was to take, if you don't know, if you don't have a, a person who's been a military casualty in your own family, in your own life, to take a story of someone else who's been lost in one of the conflicts in the history and learn about their story so that you can honor them and that seemed like a really cool idea so that is what i'm going to end the show with i did a little bit of research on a military casualty whose grave i have found by happenstance and he's a fascinating story so i'm going to honor the lost military families by ending the show with him so i hope you'll stick around for that we ended the armistice day show with two minutes of silence so it seems like a really appropriate way to end the memorial day show In terms of the other stories we're doing today, there's lots of different kinds of loss. And as I was selecting stories to put on this episode, one of the through lines that I kept seeing was um, when someone has had a loss or is lost or when there's been a loss to actually stop in the moment and see, see the person, see what's happened, acknowledge the loss. And there's all different kinds of loss Some of them are huge and dramatic and some of them are everyday life. And so we're going to transition into a piece of microfiction about a loss. I think a lot of us go through as parents, which is the loss of your young child as they become an older child. And, as we talk about eyesight and seeing in this episode, it seemed like the perfect bridge between the two stories. And then we're going to close with Yasmina. And Yasmina is a first person story of a woman who has had a loss and who is trying to see a future through her loss. So I do think these stories unite together really nicely, even though they're not all about Memorial Day specifically. And then we're going to close as we usually do. And then for those of you interested, please hang around to the end because I would love to tell you the story of somebody I learned about who was a real person and. With a little bit of Memorial Day nonfiction. And just a quick note to the listeners, Yasmina, third story in this episode, while not explicit in theme or content, does contain a couple of words that may not be appropriate for all listeners. So that's our show today. Thank you so much for joining me. If this is a holiday celebrated where you are, I hope that you have a safe one and find your own way to honor it in whatever way you need. If this is not a holiday celebrated where you are right now, I hope you will join us next because we're going to have a party because we are turning one. I will see you then on the No Extra Words podcast. The Quiet Raspberry Wormhole by Jeffrey H. Tony. Separated by time, distance, and her blossoming into womanhood, evanescent shockingly bright mental flashes cast upon this night's deep darkness revealed the way back to my little girl. Then two years old, consummate master of silly games, she laid on her back, tiny feet tracing circles, first fast. Pausing, then faster, evading my awkward grasp as I cupped air, not speeding foot, my mock frustration quelled by glorious girl giggles. Shrouded in 3 a.m.'s deep-dreaming vivid awakening, my lips remember forming a quiet raspberry wormhole, sweet time travel, her bubbles of laughter already erupting before belly-button-bound lips land. Yasmina by Evan Guilford Blake Author's note. The war that is the background for what is described in what follows, the woman who describes it, and the incidents to which she refers are all entirely fictional. The physical setting is willfully indefinite. War is not a thing of time, place, generation, or specific circumstance. It is, and always has been. And, regretful to say, will always be. Dear Ricky Good news, at long last. They're sending me home. I tried to call you, but I got the goddamn voicemail. We have got to get rid of that message. First thing we do after I walk in the door. After you kiss me, of course, for what will probably be the thousandth time since I get off the plane. That message sounds so sweet. So instead of me, live from 5,000 miles away, you get this. Email isn't the comforting sound of your voice, and I'll try again later, but I'm so excited, I couldn't wait to tell you, and besides, I need to practice my typing. Ignore the errors, this keyboard is really small, and no way I'm going to let anyone proofread it. The other good news, I suppose, is that you won't have to come, and I'm grateful for that. I mean, it would have been awful goddamn hard for you to get in here, let alone just get here, and we couldn't have afforded for you to stay long enough to make the trip worth it. And besides, I figure I still don't look so good. I don't know if I'm ready to have the world see me like this, however this looks. There's still some pain. The doctor says there will be some pain, at least a few more months. Maybe now and then after that because of the nerves. You remember. But really, I'm a lot better. The bandages came off this morning for good. When they said they were going to do it, I kept thinking, the nurse is going to gasp, like in that Twilight Zone show. I'll never know if she did. I thought they'd let me be awake for the unveiling, but no, I was under. And groggy as hell when I woke up. But now I get to feel my face again. Rick, there are lots of scars. Lots. More than I guessed there was. I mean, I knew there'd be scars. It hurt so much. It was like my skin was getting tore up again and again. But God, I'm so afraid of what I look like. I'm afraid for you to see me. I know I'm ugly, and they can't do anything reconstructive for years, maybe never, and I don't want to look like this. I don't want to look like someone little kids will scream at when they see, like someone you have to hide what you're feeling when you see. I know you didn't want me for my looks in the first place, and 19 years is a long time, but you're so goddamn beautiful, and hey, how people look, it's always made a difference to me. I guess it won't any more, huh? I guess it's good I never had kids. Anyway, I'm making progress in Braille. I still can't read much, but I got through a whole page today. Took me an hour. I had to go over some of the words three or four times. But there's what the therapist calls context. If you figure out the first letter is E and the last one is T, you can figure out the one between them is probably an A, if it's a three-letter word anyway. I get confused on the longer ones. I forget what letters I read. It's probably good I'm reading Stephen King. I think the longest word in Salem's lot is vampire. And feeling that word it conjures up lots of images, all of them having to do with darkness. Different kinds of darkness. I think a lot about darkness. Like being in a tunnel that's too long to know there is a light at the end. Before I came here, before the explosion and the pain and the wanting to die, I loved it. Lying there with you late at night, pitch black and all the sounds magnified. Every breath you took, every rustle of the sheets, the tiny, tiny sound of my finger tracing the circle around your areola, the licking of your lips before you kissed me. It's true, you are more aware of sounds when you can't see. Here, I hear planes, footsteps in the hall, the other women crying, crying out. Sometimes, I hear people die. I'm not going to die, Ricky, not for a long time. The doctor says I'm in surprisingly good shape. I ought to be. You can't train other soldiers for sixteen years if you're not. But it's going to be hard to live. I know that. For both of us. When I get back, we should go right away, someplace where they'll let us really tie the knot, you think? If you're still willing. And I believe you when you say you are. That's what's been keeping me going the last four months. Knowing there is a light at the end of this tunnel. I might not be able to see it, but I can feel it. It's warm, and it feels safe. I love you, Rick. Thanks for loving me. Not because of... Not in spite of. Just loving. I'll see you soon. Yours, Yasmina. Again, podcast listeners, as promised, to honor this Memorial Day holiday, I'm going to tell you the story of somebody who sacrificed his life for this country. His name was Marvin Glenn Shields. I discovered Marvin because his grave is by the side of the road on a road trip my family and I were taking a couple of weeks ago. And as somebody who can't really resist a historical marker, when I saw that there was a historical cemetery and a military marker, I just had to stop and find out what was going on there. So I had a chance to visit Marvin at his gravesite. And then when this opportunity came up to research a military casualty, he was immediately who came, who, who came to my mind. And as I was researching him, it was amazing to me how much he could be the soldier from C.M. gabbett's story that kicked us off today and how much the line of a young child runs through this whole episode because he was the father of a young child. So let's start at the beginning. Marvin was born December 30th, 1939 in Port Townsend, Washington. He graduated from high school there in 1958 and he worked in the gold mines up in Alaska. He joined the Navy as a CB in 1962. The CBs are a really interesting naval unit that specialize in construction their motto is we build we fight they were originally recruited from the civilian construction trades and they were recruited because of their specific skills in construction and they fought as well as built um airstrips bridges roads warehouses hospitals all that stuff they were also involved in the korean conflict and they did some civilian work um, recovering from earthquakes. They became what was called the Navy's Goodwill Ambassadors in the 1950s. And in Vietnam, they would fend off enemy forces alongside their Marine and Army counterpoints, but they also would build infrastructure. They would build schools. They would build healthcare services. After Vietnam, they built and repaired Navy bases all over the Pacific. Marvin Shields was the only Navy CB in their history to win the Congressional Medal of Honor, which we're going to get to in a minute. So he joined the Navy as a CB in 1962. He was stationed in Hawaii, and he was sent to Vietnam in February of 1965. And he was attached to the 5th Special Forces Airborne. The story was that the Viet Cong troops overran a Special Forces camp containing 400 South Vietnamese and Allied Asian troops, 11 men of U.S. Army Special Forces, And a team of nine CB men. Marvin Shields was someone who was bringing ammunition, who was helping to set up defensive positions, who was defending this area... So I just want to read the Congressional Medal of Honor citation. The President of the United States, that would be Lyndon Johnson, in the name of the Congress takes pleasure in presenting the Medal of Honor to Marvin G. Shields, rank and organization construction mechanic third class U.S. Navy CB Team 1104, place and date Dong Choi, Republic of Vietnam, 10th of June 1965, entered service Seattle, Washington, born 30th December 1939 Port Townsend, Washington. Citation for conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty. Although wounded when the compound of Detachment A342, 5th Special Forces Group Airborne, 1st Special Forces, came under intense fire from an estimated reinforced Viet Cong regiment employing machine guns, heavy weapons, and small arms, Shields continued to resupply his fellow Americans who needed ammunition and to return the enemy fire for a period of approximately three hours, at which time the Viet Cong launched a massive attack at close range with flamethrowers, hand grenades, and small arms fire. Wounded a second time during this attack, shields nevertheless assisted in carrying a more critically wounded man to safety and then resumed firing at the enemy for four more hours. When the commander asked for a volunteer to accompany him in an attempt to knock out an enemy machine gun emplacement, which was endangering the lives of all personnel in the compound, Because of the accuracy of its fire, Shields unhesitatingly volunteered for this extremely hazardous mission. Proceeding toward their objective, with a 3.5-inch rocket launcher, they succeeded in destroying the enemy machine gun emplacement, thus undoubtedly saving the lives of many of their fellow servicemen in the compound. Shields was mortally wounded by hostile fire while returning to his defensive position, his heroic initiative, and great personal valor in the face of intense enemy fire sustain and enhance the finest traditions of the U.S. Naval Service. And obviously, his Medal of Honor was awarded posthumously. He was 25 years old. He was survived by his wife and his daughter, Barbara, who was one year old at the time. The story is that he was buried in the cemetery in Gardner, Washington, right outside of Port Townsend, where he was from, instead of at the Arlington National Cemetery, which is where the government actually wanted to place him because his wife wanted him to be buried at home. His grave seems to have been almost lost for a while, but the Seabees discovered that he was there and started doing an annual ceremony at his grave every year on Veterans Day. And it's actually kind of nice to visit his grave because you can tell this is a guy who's being honored by his mates long, long after his death, because you'll see cans of beer and coins and things left behind for him in true naval tradition. He is buried next to his daughter, who died in 2012. As far as I can tell, his widow is still alive. She comes to the services at his gravesite annually. Um, she is remarried. And at least as of 2014, she was still alive. So as a citizen of Washington State, as a lover of Port Townsend, which you should always visit if you can, and as the granddaughter of a Navy veteran myself, I wanted to take this moment to honor the memory of Marvin Glenn Shields and all of the Marvin Glenn Shields whose names we don't know here on this memorial. Thanks for listening to this Memorial Day edition of No Extra Words, the Flash Fiction Podcast. A couple of extra sound credits today. Our sound effects are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. That's at freesound.org. The church bells that we opened the end of the show with are courtesy of Free Sound John 01. And the bugle taps playing was recorded live at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier by eighteen. 18- H-I-L-T-C user over at Free Sound Project. Those links will both be in the show notes. To learn more about us, our contributors, and what we do, please visit us at noextrawords.wordpress.com and we'll see you next time.